Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Amigas, I have before you Dr. Monica Sanchez. And Dr. Monica Sanchez is the pro tem mayor for the city of Pico Rivera. And she has a really beautiful story and journey in public service. And I really wanted her to be here on this podcast. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Monica. She was elected to the Pico Rivera City Council in a special election held in November 2019, which has uh, made her the pro tem mayor of the city of Pico Rivera. Before being elected to the city council, Dr. Sanchez was a planning commissioner and served four years on the Parks and Recreation Commission for the city of Pico Rivera. Dr. Sanchez is currently a board member for the Southeast Area Social Services Funding Authority. This public agency provides social services to seniors, such as meals and job services to adults and youth at no cost. She served as a chair on the Rio Hondo College District Citizens Bond Oversight Committee. Having served two terms, Dr. Sanchez has worked on the Commission for Alcohol and Drugs seven years, where she has received commendation by the LA County Board of Supervisors for her exemplary service. She also serves as a board member for the UCLA Southeast Bruins Alumni Association. Dr. Sanchez is, has earned her doctorate and master's degree in education from UCLA and a bachelor's degree in psychology from UC Berkeley and is an alumna of Rio Hondo College. Dr. Sanchez works as an educator for the Los Angeles County Office of Education and advocates for women, children, and public health. She lives in Pico Rivera with her two sons, her pet cat, and chihuahua dog. Please, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Sanchez to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. How are you? Welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm good today. Thank you. 
Beautiful, beautiful. And, you know, before we even got on the call, she was in another meeting. So this is how busy this woman is. So we're going to try to unpack as much as we can about her history here. And uh, the first thing I always like to ask of my guests is where they're from and their family background. So Dr. Sanchez, can you please let us know you're originally from Los Angeles, right? Sort of. Um, I've lived my whole adult life in Pico Rivera. And sometimes people are surprised to find out that I actually spent my childhood uh, growing up through Southern California and and Central California. My dad is a a farm worker and he's 65 years old and he's still um, picking fruit. So he used to migrate a lot more, but he would pick apples in Washington and cherries in Oregon and um, lemons and oranges. So I actually lived some time in Porterville. I attended second and third grade in Porterville, California, so central, the Central Valley of California. And then we were lived south. We lived in San Bernardino, but I was actually born in Fontana in Southern California. So as a child, you know, just kind of moved throughout Southern California, but I lived a a time in the city of Colton in Southern California. It's a small town and that's where I graduated from high school. And when I graduated from high school, I met my boyfriend, which was my future husband and now ex-husband. And he's the one that brought me to Pico Rivera. And so I was 18 when I moved and stayed here in Pico Rivera. And so I, my adult, my entire adult life, I've, I've lived in Los Angeles County and, and Pico Rivera. Ah, I see. Wow. That, you know, kind of sounds a bit familiar, like just moving around in different areas. I've had that kind of childhood. It's always been, you know, I lived either in Orange County, I lived in LA County. So it's just bouncing off from different areas. I think as Latinas, we tend to move around, you know, and, and when we get situated, we get situated. It's beautiful. So, Amiga, okay, now you were saying something about your dad being a farm worker, and I'm sure that that had a direct impact on your life. Can you, like, give us an example of what you used to see him doing that you're like, oh, I'm going to take that tool and put it in my back pocket? Well, my dad and I didn't really have the best relationships sometimes, and I think we didn't understand each other And his primary language is Spanish. Uh, My mom taught me mostly English, my mom's side of the family. She's from California. On my mom's side, my grandma, my great grandma, um, our whole family is here. But I think the work ethic is definitely what he instilled in us. And even when I was growing up, when I was younger in middle school and high school, my mom would take us out to the fields with him. So my sister and I would go to the grape fields, to the vineyards and where he was working. And our job was to lay out the papers because those grapes were going to be raisins. So we had to lay out these brown papers right in front of the vineyards. And so even if we were just going to visit him at work, he always gave us a little task to do. And I didn't mind it, actually. I, I do like to be out in nature I do love that he is very wise when it comes to growing trees and plants. And he's always outside trimming our trees and and fixing the grass and the lawn, making sure it looks beautiful. So 
I, I'm sure as many, many people know, they have a hardworking father. He instilled in us that work ethic. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then there was Father's Day yesterday. So I'm sure yes. that celebrating his hard work is, is a big thing in the family. Yes. And yeah. he was out still out in the yard trimming trees. Sundays is his only day off of work and he's out in the backyard cutting trees. I can see that happening like I have a grandfather who loves to do that I mean now he's he's uh he's aged a lot and and that's what he loves doing he trims trees as much as he can obviously because he's you know a lot older now but that is just so beautiful to be out in nature it inspires us you know just to see how a seed can grow and blossom into something beautiful that we could potentially be nourished by it right Oh, yeah. how amazing. This is beautiful. So now farm working. Then where did your ability to just think, okay, I'm going to go to college. Like, where did that come from? Because I know you went to Berkeley and did your mom attend college? That was an inspiration from your family, your mom? My mom actually did not attend college. I was the first person in my family But my mom is a very strong woman. My mom had me when um, she was 16 years old, but she did finish high school. She wasn't able to go to college. She worked in in, um, child protection services. She just recently retired and she was working for a child abuse hotline and child abuse related. She always, I think, wanted to be a social worker, do some type of social work. But she never, I think, had the opportunity to really pursue higher education. She had myself and my sister and I are one year and nine months apart to the day. And so she was a young mom as well, but she's a very smart woman. And she was able to graduate from high school with two children. And um, I think she was the one, her and my grandmother, my grandmother also worked for the county, San Bernardino County and she worked with the Department of Social Services and they were working women, hardworking women. They were career women. And they were the ones that took me to visit the campus and signed me up. And back then there were no, there was no internet. I couldn't Google UC Berkeley or Cal and look and see what the campus looked like. You just had to go there. And my mom didn't have a lot of money. We couldn't fly there. We'd never flown on a plane before. So what happened was, I, at that time, we were considered low income and the University of California system offered a fee waiver for for any student that met the income limitations that you could apply for three colleges for free. So you didn't have to pay the application fee. So I applied for UCLA was my first choice school. UC Berkeley, yes, was in there and UC Santa Barbara. Those were my three top choices because I heard Santa Barbara was beautiful because of the beach. Some of my friends had applied there too. So I, uh, for sure, I had that third one, which was Berkeley. I didn't know anything about it, but my math teacher, her name was Miss Taylor. She told me, Monica, you have to go to Berkeley. Uh, it's a tier one research institution. I didn't know what that meant at the time. <laughs> but um, <laughs> she used to attend math conferences there. And she would take some of the work that I was doing. I was part of this interactive math project. Um, a specialty math project of some sort when I was in high school. And she would take my assignments and go to some math conferences there. She was like, Monica, you have to go to Berkeley. So not knowing, I just checked the box. UC Berkeley, okay. So I turned my application in there and come and find out 
Um, I um, I did end up getting um, accepted to Berkeley and I had never visited the campus at all. So my grandma and my mom drove me up, packed up a little Nissan and, and I loved it. I knew my mom thought I was crazy. My dad knew, he told me I was crazy. He, my dad didn't even go. He did, I don't think he wanted me to go. He didn't go to the campus to, you know, he didn't want to encourage my craziness, I think. <laughs> 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 but it was my mom and my grandma that um, really drove me there, took me to sign up, took me to get my photo, my first photo ID card. And and so from Southern California, where we were living all the way to Cal was about about an eight hour drive. So they drove me up there to go visit the campus. And, and that's how, you know, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great thing. And I had my son. I was I, I was a young mother. That was part of my my experience. I had a son and especially during that time, I think they were thinking like, what? You're leaving us? You're, you have a kid and, you know, you're you're going so far away. But I did have an opportunity to apply and get accepted to, to Cal. Oh, my goodness. And so um, when you got accepted to Cal, was it like, OK, yes, this is it. This is the school for me. And so you go and you study psychology. Is that correct? Yes, I ended up with my bachelor's degree in psychology, and I actually had a double major in social welfare, and I think that was the influence of my grandmother and my mom, but as I learned more about it, I really didn't know if I was going to be a social worker. You don't know. I always say, you don't know what you don't know until you get there. (laughs) Exactly, precisely. I I Totally agree with you because uh, many people, like when they get accepted into college, you, you don't know. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, you're going to go in this direction. Like, let's say psychology. And then you find yourself like, oh, hell no, I don't like this major, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I totally get it. And I think a lot of amigos can resonate with that because just because you make a decision or a choice of first selection doesn't mean that you need to stick to it because if it doesn't resonate with you, then uh, you need to pivot and change and, and go what really is calling your heart, right? So- I, I think so. But I also think if to make the best of it, you know, and at Cal, I didn't know, I thought I wanted to be a school psychologist. And so that was kind of what I was thinking in my mind at the time. But when I started doing internships and actually visiting the school sites and looking to see what school psychologists really do, that's when I was like, oh, no, I don't know if I really want to do this. But I still loved my coursework. And it was too late for me to completely eliminate the major and pick something else because then I couldn't, then I wouldn't have been able to graduate. So I think it's important if, if you, you know, bachelor's degree is a stepping stone to be a lawyer, for instance. I think students don't realize that you have to have a bachelor's degree first, and then you have to do three more years of coursework. So that happened to me. I got my bachelor's degree from Cal. I still had to go to UCLA. I got my master's degree. So it's a little bit more coursework. So whatever you pick as your major, yes, of course, you need to like it. But if you're already so deep in and you only have, you know, a couple more courses, I don't recommend to students to like completely re-steer your course. Because if you don't finish your bachelor's degree, then really you're not going to have that degree and you're not going to go be able to go on to the next step. So do what you can work with the counselor to take the courses that you can just to, to get it done, you know, and, and one of my faculty members told me too, when I was writing my, my PhD, which is the next level, 
I took eight years to do that. And my, one of my faculty members said, Monica, don't nitpick everything. A good dissertation right now is a done dissertation. Like just do it. <laughs> just get do it. it. In. Now I found a little typos in it, a few typos. <laughs> and we, we are our worst critics sometimes, but sometimes you just have to steer the course and plow forward and get it done. <laughs> oh God. Yes, definitely. So here you are. You, did you get your master's degree? Was it like a dual master's and PhD or was there were two separate degrees? No, it was two separate degrees. After I graduated from Cal, I came back to Pico Rivera, came home and I was teaching. I got a position as a teacher. I was teaching language arts, social studies and one period of PE for middle school students. Um, I taught seventh grade and I really had a tough year. I had a tough group of students. And I was a young teacher, new teacher, said, you know what, I'm in education, but my major, my degree was not in education. My degree was in psychology, but I didn't want to be a school psychologist. So I said, I think that I need to go back to school. And so I applied to UCLA and UC Santa Barbara. I heard they had good education schools. And UCLA, of course, was still my first choice school. I don't know, but that was in my mind. I always wanted to go to UCLA, even though I went to Cal for my first degree. And what happened was I enrolled in a master's program in education. And the program is social sciences in comparative education. And it wasn't a joint PhD. You have in that program that I enrolled in, you have to have a master's degree before you can apply to even apply to the PhD. But um, there are some programs that are joint where you get your master's degree along the way. But in my program, I just had intended only to get my master's. (laughs) But then you eventually did get your PhD in education. Yes. After I was completing my master's, I did very well. I think that CALP really prepared me. College, uh, my undergrad degree, it really kicked my butt. (laughs) But when I got to graduate school, it I did really well. And my professor, my, my faculty chair, he told me, Monica, you're doing very well. He said, everything that you're doing right now, all the coursework is what the doctoral students are doing, the ones that are getting their doctorate degree. He said, the only difference is to get your doctorate degree, you're going to have to do your own research, essentially write your own thesis, your own dissertation, which is basically writing a book, your own book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. And I said, I can do that. I think I can do that. I didn't know anybody other than the, the professors there that had a, a PhD or, or a doctorate degree. And so the only program that I applied for right immediately following my master's degree was that UCLA doctorate in education. So my PhD is in education. And I don't recommend people to do that. Students don't do that. But that was the only one that I knew. And the professor obviously recommended me. And I had been in conversation with him and another one of my mentors. My mentors are um, Dr. Daniel Sodersano and Dr. Don Nakanishi. And I had met with them, discussed with them my goals. And I do recommend that students that are interested in higher education go talk to the faculty members, see if you're going to get along with them because I was with them for eight years. (laughs) (laughs) So you really got to know them. (laughs) Yes. It's like, speaking of Father's Day, it's like a father's relationship. You know, there's times that they're lecturing me like, Monica, where's your work? Where's your assignments? Why are you late? Why aren't you doing it? 
And then there's times where like, they're very proud of you. And, and so it's, it was very much a fatherly relationship where sometimes I got the punishment <laughs> and I felt like we're like sh- ashamed. We're like the dad, you know, they play the dad role. <laughs> oh, so my goodness. we're like, they were like dads for, for me. They were a, a fatherly role. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, so now you have your PhD. Did you always believe that you were going to use your degree all for public service? Because I was reading your your bio and I'm like, oh my God, she has a life of working for the public. Like, this is beautiful. So did you always have that need, that want, that desire to um, live in in the public life? I did not. I didn't really know anything about it. I think it came about because of need, (laughs) out of necessity. I have two sons. And as I mentioned, I was a young mom and I enrolled my son. They were at the parks year round just because they're very active boys. (laughs) And, and, you know, I was a very busy in school. So I enrolled them in, in swimming lessons in the summer, baseball, soccer, basketball, football. My sons played all of the sports and, um, you know, it was just a way to keep them busy and so, but as I started realizing our parks, some of them would be, have pothole, have um, gopher holes or, or they were graffiti that someone had put on the slide. And so I would always complain to the, I would send an email to the city or to the mayor complaining about graffiti <laughs> or during the soccer practices, if the lights weren't good, like some of the lights sometimes were out. I was the mom that would be complaining the next day, like, this is dangerous for our kids. You know, our kids need a better space for this. And so the mayor um, at the time, he said, you know, Monica, I have a a position for a parks commissioner. I was like, no, 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 I don't want to go any meetings. I'm too busy. I'm a mom and I work full time. Like I'm going to school. Like I do not have time for that. And he said, it's only one meeting a month. And basically you just do what you're doing now report to me any issues that need things that need to be fixed, any recommendations for programs. What do you hear from other parents, other moms that their kids are in sports? And that's kind of, you know, you just tell me, advise me on anything for the parks. And so I said, okay, I'll try it out for one year and we'll see how it goes. And it was volunteer. We weren't paid. It was a volunteer position. You volunteer to go to meetings. <laughs> and I didn't want to do it, but I got, I got stuck somehow. And I did that for five years. I was a parks commissioner for five years. <laughs> yes, I see that. I'm like, for someone that didn't want to go to meetings, you did it for five oh. years. That's, wow. And then after that, you then I see that you've been doing some other things. Like you're a board member for the Southeast Area uh, was it social services? And I see also that you are part of the Commission for Alcohol and Drugs. So how did that all come about? Yes. So some of it is related to my job as well. I work for the LA County Office of Education and I work in student services. So I manage programs and we teach alcohol or drug prevention education courses. Specifically right now, a big focus is on smoking and vaping prevention, including marijuana. That's kind of a big issue right now that's um, among our, our, our students. And so I was appointed to serve to represent the schools. And it was at that time um, that I started, Proposition 64 was on the ballot. And that was that's the initiative to legalize cannabis in California for recreational use. 
and I was opposed and I would go to a lot of meetings um, with on the County Alcohol and Drug Commission. And part of my role is to provide data on the impacts that, that drugs are having on, on the education sector, on kids and their academic achievements and their attendance and, and their overall mental health. And so one of my roles was to kind of share information of what I was seeing, what I was experiencing among the different schools and districts in Los Angeles County. And so I've been on that commission as well. So there is some frustration at times because we're torn between, it was Proposition 64 was voted on and approved by the legal, you know, legally by California voters. But I think they, not everyone has children and they don't really see the impact that that industry, that the smoking industry has um, on children. And so I, I think part of my role is to kind of share with them the dangers. Like, don't forget, our children can't vote. And there are dangers that come with the, even though, think about the children. Maybe you don't have any more children or you don't have them, but that's part of my role in that position. Oh, wow. So... You've been super involved with the Prop 64. I remember when that came to fruition. And I mean, I guess there's pluses and cons to it, but definitely when it comes to children, you don't want that around them. No. You know, at all, at all. Well, well, it's beautiful that you were a part in, in um, educating and, you know, backing it up by data. That's mm-hmm. super important so that people understand that, you know, your vote has ramifications for the young ones, right? For the kids. Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, thank you I, I, for, for being such a proponent for children's rights and, and whatnot. So now after, you know, getting involved in this proposition, I see that you are the pro tem mayor of Pico Rivera. So you decided that you're going to be a politician, like full blown. So how did that come about? <laughs> mayor pro tem is, is a vice mayor, so to speak. A mayor in training in December this year, God willing, if everything goes well, um, I'll hopefully be selected to be the mayor. Um, Pico Rivera, we don't have an elected mayor. All of our, we have five council members. All of us are elected. And then we rotate amongst ourselves the mayor position each year. So usually it could go by seniority. So who's, who's been on the council um, and we just kind of take turns in being the spokesperson for the city. So in December this year, this coming year will be my, my turn, hopefully. I became involved. Um, it started through the Parks Commission, through that role, getting involved in advocating as a parent and being involved in, in those ways. But I think, as I mentioned to you, I felt like sometimes our voices weren't heard. I felt a lack of representation. There weren't any women on the city council. There aren't any other than me right now. And um, and there hadn't been any women on the city council, I think, in about 10 years. And so there were decisions that were being made. Um, for instance, the city was, we're not a, a really wealthy city. We're a small city. And we didn't have money that year. And there was a discussion to eliminate school crossing guards that help children to cross the crosswalk. And I'm thinking to myself, that is so bad. You know, the, those anybody, that any parent that's dropping off a kid every morning on, during normal 
prior to the pandemic, <laughs> prior to the distance learning, those busy intersections every morning, every school corner and after school are super busy and, and a, a child is going to get run over. Some of them, they don't know. They just run into the street, you know? And so I started thinking to myself, like, these men maybe don't have children or they're not dropping their children off at school. They don't know how essential (laughs) crossing guards are Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for them to make that decision. And so um, I started to think about that, you know, that lack of representation. And once again, my colleague, that was the mayor, he was like, oh, the one of the council members had become senator. He was elected as our state senator from the region. So you can't serve as senator because you have to be in Sacramento as well as be in the city. So he left to become the senator, which created a a vacancy. So there was one open seat on our city council that was vacant. And so my colleague that was mayor at the time, once again, he came to me and he was like, Monica, you've been a commissioner for so many years. You know, you should consider running for city council. And I'm like, again, no, no, no. I don't want to do more meetings. I don't have any money. I don't know anything about how to run for this or that, right? (laughs) And so it came down to the wire. We had to make the decision. And he said, talk to this guy. I had to talk to multiple consultants. I talked to three political consultants and just kind of ask him a lot of questions. Like, how much did I think it would cost? How am I going to get my campaign together? And so I met with him and through much force of a lot of people just telling me like, you need to run, you're a representative for the city, you're the only woman, it's an opening, you know, you have a good chance because it's open, there's no incumbent there, you need to do it. So somewhat by force, (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's how I ended up running. And I did end up winning winning the race um, for city council. Oh, yeah. Congratulations with that. And I, we are going to see you in December as the mayor for Pico Rivera. So exciting. So exciting. So once you become mayor, what would be the first item for business for you? Oh, there's so much on business. We're working on it right now. I think people don't realize that things take a lot of time and money. But in, all, in addition to that, I might have the greatest idea, but I need to have support of my colleagues as well. It takes a majority vote to move anything forward. So um, right now, one of my biggest things that I worry about is our water. We have water contamination of PFOS and PFOA. It's just been there for many years. And we're not the only city, several cities in Orange County, as well as LA County, all over California, all over the nation. We have water contaminants and Many residents don't have filtration systems themselves that could filter out that these types of chemicals. And so it's really important to me. Um, For instance, I was taking my son a bath one night and he the bobs down and gulps a full glass, a full cup of water. And I'm like, don't drink the water. Don't drink the bath water. And, you know, just kind of stress me out and. So for me, I think once we, um, we had to find money, financial support to purchase filtration systems, we have to find a vendor that's going to install those systems. Construction is expensive. Even just finding materials right now, there's a shortage of, of construction materials, which I didn't know. I'm not in the construction field. That's something you have to learn as well. On city council, it's, it's like a crash course in everything from land use, construction, water uh, filtration, water systems, um, 
everything you can think of. During COVID, um, the pandemic, I had to learn epidemiology and we have briefings with the public health department. So you really have to have a speed course. I have a doctorate degree, but not in all of these topics. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Wow. Business and finances. Uh, there's so many things that I spend late nights reading about. <laughs> well, it is a major role. And um, I think that if anyone, you can do it for sure. After this beautiful conversation that we've been having, I'm like, oh my God, yes, this woman has a, is a powerhouse. It's chingonas. <laughs> oh my goodness you have a lot coming going on and um, as we're like finishing up our conversation I always ask my guests if they if they could provide us with one or two tips on how an amiga can handle a shit because girl you've been doing that so do you have any tips for us I think my best tip is you know you think that I am a chingona or you know how do we handle it is, you know, I can't handle it alone. We can't do it alone. Even my run for city council, I had a big team. I had the political consultant, but I had many volunteers that were moms and career women and owners of, of small businesses. A lot of Latina small business owners, whether they owned a restaurant or a real estate agent office, were the PTO moms. You have to have a team. Even to this day, my a friend of mine babysits my son on Tuesday nights when I have council meetings and I couldn't be present at the meetings without even down back to my mom taking me to drive to Berkeley. You know, you really need a team of support, even if they're family or just friends, men and women. You really can't do it alone. And, and I know that it's not me that did it alone. So I, I think you yeah, as you go along the way, think about who's on your squad, who's part of your team and who are there to to support you, not only when you're in need, but how can you support them? And I think that's my biggest tip is don't try to do it all by yourself. Well, that's a wonderful tip because Lord knows that it takes a village, you know, for us to, um, you know, just move forward in life. You know, you, you definitely, you can't do it alone. You always need the support. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Sanchez, for this beautiful tip, for this beautiful conversation. And amigas out there, you can definitely see what uh, Dr. Sanchez is doing by going to the city of Pico Rivera. It's as a .gov, right? City of Pico Rivera .gov. So you can find out more information about this beautiful city. And perhaps if you want to volunteer, is there opportunities, Dr. Sanchez? Yes, yes. In the city of Pico Rivera, we have also a system where you can get a certificate, get hours for our youth. Um, so through our city parks and recreation department. So if you want to come and help out in the city right now, we're giving away food Monday through Friday after school hours, 1230 lunch, actually 1230 to 330. And we need volunteers to help give out food at the parks. So that's something that we, we could use the community's help with. So. Beautiful. That's yeah. wonderful. Well, thank you. you. You heard it, amigas out there who live in Pico Rivera or around Pico Rivera. This is a, a place where you can come and volunteer and do community service. And we're going to see her be the mayor in December. Thank you so much, Dr. Sanchez, for being here at Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. 
Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.